Welcome to a special edition episode of Books That Make Us Better. We collectively decided that this was a chapter that deserved its very own release date. These topics are tough, and it's important to us that we pay them respect. We hope this episode is thought-provoking to you as it sure was to us. On this episode, we are covering the chapter, Racists. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An alpha media podcast. So what's left? Racists. (sighs) I feel like this one needs to be its own episode. That I... So looked much. at this and was like, there is no way that I'm going to do this justice because there's just so much within this. There's like a story within a story, but I can yeah. try to summarize and then kind of you guys can point out the parts that I missed because I took a lot of notes, but uh, it was just so much. Um, And I think it is a lot. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and with working with um, this, our school district um, has been so progressive in trying to do social justice um, trainings and giving us opportunities to learn and grow that sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm interweaving some of my experiences with reading. Um, And so, again, I'm going to do the best I can to kind of summarize and then we can uh, fill in the holes or the gaps. So, Racist, the chapter, um, is where Glennon talks about kind of the white moderate um, in contrast to white people that are actively engaged in fighting for civil rights and for other races. Um, And then kind of describes her journey of wanting to be more of an activist and how she was working with a friend and they decided to um, put on kind of a webinar where they would kind of take this uh, race and civil rights issue head on rather than kind of sitting numb. Um, And Glennon uses this uh, phrase of, you know, trying to face racial sobriety and comparing it with her experience of her own sobriety journey um, and how they were very similar. And um, Glennon becomes really heavily involved in this activism role, but it kind of like backfired I don't want to say backfired on her but she was just things were brought to light to her that she had never really considered so she had very thoughtfully planned out this webinar that was going to take on all these issues and uh, they put it out to the you know public and there was a ton of backlash um, and backlash in the form of you know Uh, Why wouldn't you try or why would you try to teach these uh, points instead of turning to women who have already been doing this work? Why not use people of color? Why offer this course for free? You know, you're taking uh, money out of the hands of people, uh, black educators that are doing this. Um, And so and at the end, the the person who wrote the comment called, you know, says you are a racist. This is racist. And she was just stunned and kind of floored by the comment. And then through the, you know, second part of the chapter, she really works through how she never came up to that understanding before that point, like what had kind of poisoned her through society and just, you know, life in general, being a privileged white woman. Um, And so I, I guess, I don't know, that's kind of the gist of it. What, what am I missing? But the point that she tried to make, and I, I thought to her dad's credit, he'd come a long way when he went to the church to, I don't remember what had happened, but they were trying to figure out something um, in response to I, some 
racially charged thing. I don't really remember. Um, but he, you know, everybody said, let's pack up these care baskets and we're going um, to use that. Um, you know, we're going to give those. And he was like, no, I'm not here to do this one-off thing. I'm here to talk about it. And I think that that is probably the biggest thing that we as white people can continue to do is right. Yeah. Like definitely if you have the ability to give of yourself in a monetary way or in donations, like, yes, you should do that. But also you need to continue to grow and like, it's always going to be difficult. We should be growing all the time. I, this feels, I, even now, right now, I feel like I'm paying it lip service because I try my hardest, but I know that I need to keep working on it every single day. And this is the thing that I will be battling my entire life is this white privilege and the um, preconceived notions that I've been poisoned with uh, from society. So even now I feel like I'm paying it lip service, but I, I do think that he had a good point that we need to be having the discussion and not just not paying a lip service, you know, but like talking about it and not just doing a quick one-off thing that, you know, is great, but like do something about it. I like the point too that she used when um, she was talking about, um, I imagined myself to be the kind of white person who would have stood with Dr. King because I respect him now and she talked about how, you know, now about 90 percent of the uh, American population agrees with what Dr. King did. But at the time, about only 30 percent, which is ironically pretty much uh, a fair comparison of how people feel about like Colin Kaepernick and um, other people who have been drawing light to, you know, social injustice. And so she's like, I, I can't keep asking myself how I feel about him now. Um, I have to start asking myself, how do I feel about people like Colin Kaepernick? And, you know, she used the Freedom Writers. And, and yes, how I feel about them now is one thing. But how do I feel about the Black Lives Matter movement, which is happening and unfolding right in front of me? And so I thought that was, you know, I thought about that a lot as I read that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. That was a really good way to look at it. And because, yeah, we have these th things happening right now. And so when I, I read this book first in 2020, and it was the time that um, the Ahmad Arbery story was in the news. And I remember reading this book, this chapter in particular, and that was on the news. And I was so, so angry. So angry that these two, well, three white men really had the fucking gall to just be like, oh, I get to do this because of who I am and because of who you are. And I remember like that, like Megan, I feel like you, I, I, I don't want to pay this lip service, but it was like the moment that I snapped and I was like, I can no longer be a white person who stays quiet and who just like lives in this world and like, oh, that's not fair, but I don't speak out. Mm -hmm. That particular event is the one that kind of catapulted me into like, I'm going to have to be one of the white people that might piss other white people off. Yeah. And I, I don't really care that I am <laughs> because it's more important that like, I, we, we all have 
racist thoughts. We all have racist ideas. We all have stuff that has been like we've watched, like Glennon talks about, we've watched cops. We've watched, we've watched black people be arrested on TV how many times? And mm -hmm. it's like ingrained in us that like, oh, well, they're the bad guy. It's, I'm not willing to just like be quiet about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I, I feel yeah. a little bit jumbled in my words on it, but it's not only that th this, the Ahmaud Arbery case made me snap, but I look at my daughter, my oldest daughter, she has brown skin and there is no way that you can look at her and not see that. And she's 13 and, you know, has had people ask her questions about like, what are you? Which that question has always pissed me off. Like what a rude ass question. Seriously. But I, I can't, I can't be quiet about things when it, one, it's like that personal to me and my daughter, but like Lena talks about, there are other children. We can't, like, we have to be looking at things as a whole and how other children are being impacted, not just our own. And I wish more people could consider what other people's children are going through and the other kind of talks that parents have to have with their children at home about how to respond to a police officer or how to respond to an adult in authority so that you don't come off as threatening. I mean, it's ridiculous and yeah, it would absolutely. be exhausting. Totally. I hundred percent. I feel like I rambled. I'm so sorry, but so I chapter. like, I totally get you. Uh, no, but I think I have to read the part that you were kind of um, talking about because this is the part that hit me hardest about because I, I, you know, when you find yourself thinking some, like some thought just pops in your head and you're like, why was that? That's racist. I'm not like, why did I just think this thing immediately? Um, yeah. So I, and I like self-loathing sets in and then it's great anyway. But again, we come back to it's a daily learning, growing thing. Um, but this is the part that I needed to read. Um, until we consider racism as not just a personal moral failing, but as the air we've been breathing, how many images of black bodies being thrown to the ground have I ingested? How many photographs of jails filled with black bodies have I seen? How many racist jokes have I swallowed? We have been deluged by stories and images meant to convince us that black men are dangerous, black women are dispensable, and black bodies, bodies are worth less than white bodies. These messages are in the air and we've just been breathing. We must decide that admitting to being poisoned by racism is not a moral failing, but denying we have poison in us certainly is. So, I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's like, hey, you're doing good. <laughs> I mean, what we need to all accept that this is in us. The end, we yeah. have been conditioned to just have this in our lives. And so now that you, now that you've had this revelation, as the Maya Angelou quote goes, Angelou, you know, now, you know, do your best. What is it? Do your best until you until know you better. Know. And then you when know you know better, better do, do better. better. Yes. So do it. <laughs> what's, yeah. an, and what's an interesting thought to me, though, is that what age does it kick in? Because Liam went to a place last summer 
And every day he would come home and he would talk about this boy named Tucker. Well, Tucky, he'd call him Tucky. Tucky sat next to me at lunch today. Tucky played with me on the playground. Tucky was so nice to me today. I can't wait to see Tucky tomorrow. Mom, do you think that we could get together with Tucky sometime? I mean, he just, every day he came home and he would say new things about Tucker. And one day I went to pick him up and, and the kids were all walking into the cafeteria and I saw Liam wave at a little boy and the little boy, you know, waved back and they were both had these big smiles on his face. And he said, mom, mom, that's Tucky. Well, what he didn't mention out of all of the things that he told me about Tucker was that Tucker had brown skin and God bless him because it's not a thing's kid. It's not something kids see or notice or care about. And like, at, so at what age does that become a thing? Well, I feel like, I mean, it depends on first parenting. Um, and then I feel like it also depends on, you know, how much of society things are they taking in? You know, I think it, I think it's different in all, I don't know, in every situation. I mean, in our house, I think we have, because we, I'm lacking in diversity in my friend group. I like, I don't, we have like one gay couple that we know. I know like one black person that's my friend and I, and I hate that, but I don't, I mean, I'd happily go out and fix that anyway. Uh, I don't feel like it, I have that representation in my life or in my daughter's life and, or in court or in Ira's life. And so like we have books and I think it's better to just talk openly about it rather than act like it doesn't exist. But I, I mean, that's because that would have what I read, you know, that we're, you know, we're not supposed to act like you don't see color because if you say that, then you're thinking like, well, then I don't see my privilege over yours. So, I mean, I guess I just, we just acknowledge it head on. And I think that's important. I guess to me, it just was so beautiful that it was not even something that he thought of as yeah. a child. Like I mean, that's just yeah, not that's, even something that set him apart from. It's not worth mentioning. No, yeah, all he cared great. about was that he was nice to him and mm. like. You know, but I do see, and I think that has come up a lot recently uh, in the media or whatever, is that we're done with the I don't see color movement. And now we're coming on with, hey, I do see your color and I respect that you are different and treated differently, but also that you have this whole different cool culture that you can bring to the table. And like that is one of my favorite things about people that are different than me is that all of the cool things that they can show me that I don't even understand or am even aware about. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of homework because obviously I'm the teacher of the group. Um, a, a couple of things. So to speak towards uh, what Kayla was talking about with Liam, I love that. And it was beautiful that that's like his experience. But if you get an opportunity, check out the Clark doll experiment. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's children that are quite a bit younger than Liam. I'm thinking preschool, maybe kindergarten. And that the experiment used baby dolls that were of various skin tones. And they asked children very simple questions like which doll's the good doll, which doll's the pretty doll, which doll's the nice doll. And even the black children were pointing out the white dolls. And so at that, I mean, when I saw it, I was just like sobbing. Like, how is this how they view themselves? How is this how 
they view others. I mean, I was just in tears. And I remember being in a professional development training, just like in the back, just like total puddle on my t-shirt bawling. And I'm like, I just never, it, it just was so like eye-opening to me. And then when I was in college, I watched a documentary called the Mickey Mouse Monopoly, um, where it goes through how Disney as a corporation up until, I mean, I'm, they're working hard to change it. But if you think about all the movies that we watched as children, all the characters who were bad were of darker color. So if you think of like Jafar and Ursula and uh, Little Mermaids and in Lady and the Tramp, um, a lot of times, the all the times the bad characters were darker and a lot of times the bad characters or the um, less, you know, smart characters were of different ethnicities or races or, I mean, it was just like crazy how that could have just been indoctrinated into us and we never even realized. The other thing, if you guys have Peacock, which I think you can get it for free, watch the documentary called Black Boys. It just came out in 2020. So amazing, eye-opening, uh, just about Black black boys in general and the, how society has viewed them and used their, you know, bodies for sale, like in the NFL. And I mean, it just, it's crazy. It's so eye-opening. I was like, oh my gosh, how this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. And I've been so blind to it and oblivious because I live in my own little white privilege bubble on third base. Thanks, what was Lennon. the Disney one called? The Mickey Mouse Monopoly. It's quite a bit older now because I would have had watched it in college. And when I watched it in college, it was quite dated then. But it just mm. was like so eye-opening to like why something like the Clark Doll experiment would be a thing. Because if we're if we have Disney movies on repeat and then we ask our children these questions, what they see they're making the connections. They are connecting the dots. Yeah. I have that. So Cora, I mean, we have Disney plus and so Cora watches a fair amount and I'm, you know, I am typically geared towards not the princessy shit because I can't stand it, but she loves it. And I shouldn't, you know, I, if that's what she wants to watch, then fine. And so, you know, she watches it sometimes. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think I'm constantly judging because I'm like, where there is no diversity in this and this is a new show and there's no, there's just no representation. And then there's also the flaws of like pointing out beauty, um, you know, on the outside rather than the inside. And I have a hard time with that, but I also need a break sometimes. So... <laughs> So Disney Plus is the thing in our house. Yeah, I do feel like it's in the air. Not Disney Plus. Racism. Oh, yeah. We breathe yes. everything there in the are air, too. Few, there are a few parts from this chapter yet that um, I highlighted. That And one of, being, one of which being when she talks about um, discussing with women how we have internalized misogyny. And how that's looked at like, oh, well, I got to get rid of that. Like, I don't want that, you know, and she says that um, that there's there isn't this idea that if you have internalized misogyny, then you're a bad person. But yet she says, but then when I bring up racism, the same women say, but I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. I was raised better than that. They suddenly can't acknowledge that that could be something inside of them. And uh, but I mean, even those messages can be just as internalized as 
misogynistic messages, but they have a hard time acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. And the um, later on, she says, in America, there are not two kinds of people, racists and non-racists. There are three kinds of people, those poisoned by racism and actively choosing to spread it, those poisoned by racism. I'm sorry, those poisoned by racism and actively trying to detox and those poisoned who deny its very existence inside them. And I feel like that's very valid and super Mm -hmm. true. And yes. And the end of that little part, she says there are worse things than being criticized, like being a coward. And I have to play that in my head all the time because I would rather be I would rather upset people than feel like I'm being a coward for not speaking up. So right. that's what I just have to remind myself of. Agreed. That so. would be another whiteboard quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a good one. I feel like yeah. the, um, during a lot of the part that you were just talking about, I was the part where they deny that it's even there. That's again, where I was just having this internal monologue with myself and parts of my family and just just being like, you know, it's a it's a tough pill to swallow for sure, uh, but it's a pill that is necessary to swallow. And while this is a difficult conversation, it needs to be had. And I feel like this is me again paying lip service because a lot of times I let this shit fly. You know, I do that. I, I'll let um, parts of my family just say these racist things or undertones of racism and not point it out. And because I'm afraid of starting a fight and I value my family um, relationships. And so I'm not, you know, I don't want to rock the boat, but at the same time, I don't want Cora and Naira picking that up. And I'm not okay with that being on my island. I'm like not. So I don't know, one of these days it's going to have to be said because I just can't. You know, I can't stand by and let that be in my life still. So I've yeah. I've moved a little bit beyond that because <laughs> I recently did let somebody know that mm. what they just said was super racist and that it wasn't acceptable. And then that's it didn't end well, but I'm one hundred percent comfortable with where I ended it because that I told him flat out. I said, you're lucky my kids didn't hear it because you would have been out of my fucking house in a heartbeat. Mm. And oh. he didn't really appreciate that. Okay. But uh, I don't really care. Like, I'm just yeah. done. Like, my my oldest doesn't need to hear those things and feel like it could be directed at her. And mm. my other two definitely don't need to hear those things and feel like it's okay to say it. Yeah. And uh, I also want people to know that they can't say it around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, I mean, it's not good for us to hear either. No, just, and I don't I want mean, people like I don't want them to feel comfortable talking about that around for mm-hmm. like around me. Like r- those jokes aren't cool. Um, rape jokes aren't cool. Any of that stuff. Like don't do it around me because I'm not gonna mm-hmm. let you. Just, it's just it's not gonna slide. And uh, like I said, I probably piss people off, but <laughs> meh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> with what Lydia was saying too and like the in this chapter a big part of her is like that activism role and actually doing something and I loved like at the end 
when she talks about how she's going to keep showing up. So she says, so I, I will I will commit to showing up with deep humility and doing the best I can. I will keep getting it wrong, which is the closest I can come to doing it right. I uh, When I am corrected, I will stay open and keep learning, not because I want to be the wokest woke who ever woked, but because people's children are dying of racism and there is no such thing as other people's children. Yes. Why? Yes. Yeah. Like, I, uh, I have been in so many yes. meetings in my life, whether it be about social justice or other, you know, topics where the biggest barrier to us getting work done is being fearful of getting it wrong. And if we're constantly living in fear of getting something wrong, we can never get it right because we're never doing anything. And so it has to be that it's okay if it's wrong. And if people say it's wrong and they call us on it being wrong, we'll be open-minded. We'll keep learning. We'll keep changing and doing different because that's how we get it right. We can't just sit here and, and talk about what we could do or what we should do. We have to try and make change. Exactly. I like that, Jesse. That's so true. Totally. I mean, it's like the whole idea of like, we don't say we're colorblind anymore. And I get that. That makes sense. Like if it's, you know, it's not acknowledging another person's struggle. I, that yeah. makes sense to me. And if you tell me that saying that is not helpful, I won't say it anymore. Like yeah. I, it's, we have so much to learn. And I just think that's where we should be. That's the space we should be in is um, observing, reading, learning, educating ourselves. If people are willing to help us, fantastic. But it is not the responsibility of the Black people we know to teach us anything. I mean, I just, yeah. we need to be taking it upon ourselves. If they want to be gracious enough to give us some insight, I'll, I'll take it and I will right. respect it and listen. But I don't expect anyone to be teaching me anything but i do i do anticipate being called out if i'm wrong and i yes yeah i mean we're here to learn and i think um we as women should understand better than anyone the mental load and we shouldn't be trying to put the mental load back on anybody that could be helping us like we if if they decide if if somebody um decides to give us some insight on white privilege or racism or whatever that we need to learn about super, but it's definitely on our, on our end. Um, you know, just like, I don't expect, I try to teach my kids, you know, to, you know, help themselves. So I don't expect them to, they shouldn't expect me to do everything for them. Just like we shouldn't expect other people to do everything for us. You know, I'm go so out there and learn. Made that point. Yes. You should understand it. I don't feel like I, as women, I mean, like women haven't felt oppressed and like, I mean, I feel like as women, we can't in any tiny way understand how people of color could feel. I like, how do you not understand that? I no. mean, even like the tiniest fraction. It's just a little bit, but you, I mean, you've got to, got to understand just like a smidge because yes, I mean, it's and nothing. I, it's not the same at yeah. all. We'll and be, then I totally clear. Yes. Yeah. No, not at all the same. But like, if you can't even empathize even a tiny bit, I don't understand that. Yeah, and, but I also feel like we are a population that can just really ruin things too, because our silence or our unwillingness to be a catalyst in any way is super harmful because we just yeah. let things I mean, slide. We saw because, it in the 2016 yeah. election. 
what yeah um, just how complacent the middle class white woman can be yeah i can't stand the it white moderate woman rather yeah that's glennon says yeah Thank you for listening to this special edition episode of Books That Make Us Better. We hope this episode has encouraged you to think about how you can put words into action, about how all children are our children, and of course, how once we know better, we can do better. The key to doing better is putting yourself out there, failing, and trying again. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player and follow our Facebook page, Books That Make Us Better. Stay tuned for our next episode to drop this upcoming Friday at 5 a.m. We'll talk to you then.